got your Bibles with you, uh, if you can turn to the book of Matthew and chapter 28. Uh, we're going to be heading there in just a little while. But just to, just to refresh our minds, we're well into uh, this current series that we're doing that we've called Core, uh, where we're exploring some core values that we would particularly hold to as a church. Uh, we're a number of weeks in now. I'm not going to try and do the maths, but we, we are quite away in. We've got two more weeks, including today. Uh, and that's going to be kind of drawing that, uh, this series to a close. Uh, and as I say, we, we've been looking at core values. It came out of some time that Mike and I spent with other leaders from across relational mission churches. So the family of churches that we are a part of. Uh, and one of the things that we were doing, it was at these um, vision, and, vision, values and strategy days. Uh, and they were sharing with us that these are the values uh, that relational mission would hold to. There were, were nine in total. And, and Mike and I, as we were, were listening to it and as we were chatting afterwards, just felt actually for us as part of relational mission, we feel that these are values that we would hold to as a church as well. They're the values that we want to hold on to that will, will shape the way that we, uh, that, that, that will shape our, our everyday Christian life and will shape the way uh, that we, uh, we shape the life of the church as well. Uh, and we really wanted to, to emphasize the fact that while the, these, the wording of these values has come from relational mission, they're not relational mission values in as much as they are they're New Testament values. They're, they're biblical values that we would see, actually, this is the, the way that we, these are the values we want to hold to in terms of the type of church we want to build. We want to be in line with what scripture says. And actually in doing this series, it's given us an opportunity to say, okay, these are the values, let's root it in Scripture then so we can see where it's coming from if we're saying that they're biblical. And we've covered, the first few weeks we covered some, some things around doctrine in terms of this is what we, what we uh, things that we believe. Uh, and then we moved on to um, looking at leadership values. Uh, and then we spent three weeks, we're going to be spending three weeks thinking about missional values, the way that we approach and engage with mission. And uh, two weeks ago, we had David Barron with us, although this wasn't officially part of the core series, it fitted really well in the timings. And he was speaking around the, the theme of having the focus on everyone a witness, this call that all of us are called to be involved in the mission uh, that the church has been given. And just really helpful kind of coming in and, and uh, a, a provocation to us and an encouragement to us in that and then last week uh, Mike followed that on by, by looking at mission being local church focused actually the, the, the central and important role that the local church has in fulfilling the mission that God has given to us and one of the things uh, that, that really struck out to me that I, as I was listening to the recording of what Mike shared uh, was this is that what we are doing is not insignificant and that what we do as a local church is important and um, and has impact way beyond, way beyond what we can see happening locally. I thought that was such a helpful thing. It's kind of where Mike had led to and finished with. What we do is important. It's not insignificant. And then today, we're going to be moving on to the third of these values. Uh, no, the second of the values uh, relating to mission. And if we can have the vision, uh, we're going to jump straight in with that this morning. Brilliant. I'm glad you got it because I haven't got it in my notes. And I'm not sure I can remember all of it. So this is the, the second of our missional values, uh, which is that mission is to be expressed locally, globally, and holistically. Okay, so there's some good words in there. Holistically means uh, that you're looking at something as a whole rather than in separate parts. Okay, so that's what we're talking about holistically. Engaging the whole rather than just separate parts. Okay, uh, so let's expand what this means. So it says that we desire to see local churches 
effectively and fruitfully engaged in local kingdom mission. We desire to see local churches caught up on a global apostolic kingdom mission. We desire to see local churches involved in holistic mission, where we are engaging with all sectors of society, particularly the poor and the marginalised. Normally, local fruitfulness and effectiveness leads to a wider sphere of ministry rather than the other way around. Okay, so we're going to unpack some of that today. We're not going to cover all of it. We're going to do a fair amount of it. It's important for us to, rather than, we don't just want us to say, church, we want you to just adopt these values without actually thinking through what it means or having a chance to engage with it. So we're going to work through some of this. Now, for me, oftentimes when I come to preach, come to speak, uh, I like to have something at the start just to help us really engage with what, what we're going to be thinking about and what we're going to be looking at. Sometimes it can be a story or an illustration or something. And sometimes it comes easier to me, sometimes it doesn't. And I was struggling this week just in terms of what's the thing that I can kind of kick us off with. Because for me, if I know that that kind of just helps me then get going with the rhythm of the rest of what I want to share. And I was really struggling with that. And then as I, as I was sat down to prepare this, this week, one of the ladies who works in the building where we have our offices, she brought up... Um, an envelope, we'd had some mail delivered and she very kindly brought it up to, to the office uh, and put it in and in there was the latest copies of the Evangelical Alliance magazine that they call Idea. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what is it that we, I can just bring to, to just give us a sense of what we're talking about today and then I looked at the front of this magazine and it says this, it says God is good news and we're making it known. God is good news and we're making it known. And then as I flick through the magazine, I've not had a chance to read all of it. I've kind of skim read some of it. This whole focus is on how do we make Jesus known, but they break it down. If you look, there's different categories in there. So they're looking at it in terms of evangelism and unity and society and politics and giving and mission and church life and global. So we've got all of these different facets of life and areas of of life and, and different aspects of society and culture, but through all of them, the common thread is this, is how can we make God known? And really, this is what we're talking about when we're thinking about local, global, and holistic mission. Is it exactly, it's exactly that. And so, what really, if you want our umbrella over today, and everything else that I want to say is going to come under this umbrella, is this. Is, and if you're going to remember one thing, I kind of want it to be this, is God is good news and we are making it known. Okay, so that's what today is going to be focusing on. And we're, we're going to be making it known as followers of Jesus, as disciples individually, but also collectively as the church. What does it look like for us to be making God known in all areas of life and in all areas of society but local, global, and holistic mission, it's not, it's not the Evangelical Alliance's magazine's idea. It's not their idea. Neither is it an idea that's come out of relational mission, but it's actually the call of the church given to the church by the head of the church, who is Jesus. So when we're talking about local, global, holistic mission, it's not some clever thing that someone at some point has come up with. Actually, this is the mission that Jesus has given to the church. So we're going to, uh, hopefully you found your way to Matthew 28. By now, if you haven't got your Bible with you, please do uh, share with the person next to you or it's going to come up 
on the screen. I thought it was helpful what David Barham said the other day. It's good for you to follow so you know that the person up the front isn't just making it up. I think it's a really good, good point there. Uh, so we're going to read from Matthew 28. Not too many verses from verse 16, which says... Uh, so this is at a time after, after the resurrection, okay? So Jesus has gone to the cross, he's been crucified, and he's been resurrected, and he's returning, we're, we're in this time gap now between where he's returning to the disciples, so after the resurrection, and before he returns to the Father, he's, he's around the disciples, he's around his followers, and he's spending some time with them. And it says that uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so that's one thing that Jesus said. And then if we jump to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, don't worry necessarily about following it because I'm going to jump straight in and say it. Uh, so a little bit later on, just as Jesus is going to be talking about the Holy Spirit who he's going to send before he returns to the Father, he says, um, if I can find the right page, he says again to the, to the disciples, he says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so these are going to be the two shortish, short passages of Scripture where actually we get to see the call of the church given to the church by the head of the church. And as I said, this is the time between the resurrection and Jesus' return to the Father and he's preparing and commissioning the church. He's saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I have for you. It's something that they are to devote themselves to to commit themselves to uh, and to give themselves to totally. And really, we can summarize it as this. The commission of the church is to make him known. It's to make Jesus known. When David Barron was with us a couple of weeks ago, I, I thought it was so helpful. He had the, the, on the screen, didn't he, going through these are the, kind of the different steps that we go through in terms of uh, from entering a place to, to, to make him disciples. And if we, that, we can see that coming through in what Jesus is saying when he's given this commission to the church. See what David Berg, just a quick recap, I think it's helpful for us to cover this again. I'm going to move around the room as I do this. There's a purpose in this. Okay? But what David was, was sharing was that actually the starting point is this, is that we enter and we connect with people. What does Jesus say to the church? He says, Go. There's this process of, of going and entering new places and meeting new people. And as we do so, we want to build connections. We want to build friendships. We want to be able to engage with people. Nigel, you look nervous because I'm stood next to you. <laughs> and that's what he's, he's saying. And actually, there's this sense of, uh, it was so helpful, Dave was saying, yeah, it's, but it, it's also about the way that we live among people so that there's something about our lifestyles that speaks something about who we belong to. If we're claiming to be Jesus's, then our lifestyles should match that. So there's this sense of go, enter new places and connect with people. And then as people, uh, as people 
Um, we have those opportunities and we're reliant on the Holy Spirit to give us these opportunities. So you're going to have to swivel. You don't have to. You don't have to watch me. You can just listen to me. Uh, and then there's this sense of there's going to be a point where we need to share the gospel with people. And the gospel is that Jesus is sent into the broken world and Jesus stands in the gap and stands in the place of, uh, of, of people who are living in rebellion toward God and where that relationship is not there and Jesus stands in that place uh, and, and, and does what we could not do for ourselves so that not only do we have forgiveness of sins but we can also know God. That is the news of the gospel. And then by God's grace, people respond to that gospel and are brought into new life in him. But the journey continues. You see, not only it's not just that people are brought into a new group when people get saved. It's not just that they're brought into a group of Christians. It's much more than that. Because when they get saved, they're now living a life of commitment to Jesus. It's not a new group. It's a new way of living. And so actually, Jesus' command is this. What is it? Go and make Disciples. And discipleship is this process of growing more and more like Jesus. But it's not just about, uh, our, our, it's not just about growing in our understanding of things. It's actually growing in our obedience to Jesus. So we've got this process. So we, we, we go and we share the gospel. And then when people get saved, we have to, we have to disciple them through and actually, this is, a, this is a lifelong, we're in it for the long haul, if you like, because we journey with people through that. Not only that, we have to realise ourselves that we too are on that process of discipleship. That ongoing journey with God, learning to be more and more obedient to him. And as part of that would be the call that Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptise them. So that would be part of the obedience there. And then as people are getting saved and as people are being discipled and as disciples gather together, there's this sense of gathering. And what we see is that as, as people are being discipled and are gathering, that it should lead to, can lead to and should lead to new churches being planted and established. And then we stop there. No, we don't. Because we go back again. As new churches are planted and established, this process continues. Because the mission that Jesus has called us to is one of reproduction. And it's one that goes on from generation to generation to generation. So we enter and connect. We share the gospel. We make disciples. We gather. And then we go again. And that's the reason why just that sense of that, that kind of, it, it's, a, it's not a linear thing. It's a cycle, which is why I wanted to walk around you. I'm glad Phil said that I could move in front of the speakers. Because the only other way I could think of demonstrating it would be using an intricate system of pulleys and trapezes, um, which wouldn't be good for anybody. But we need to understand the mission that we are called to. Mike Betts, who heads up Relational Mission, says something that I think is so helpful. He says that the church is the product of the mission, it is not the mission itself. And we, we, we have to be careful that we don't see the doing church as the, the product of the mission. Actually, uh, sorry, as the mission itself. It is actually, if you follow through, where do we go? Making disciples and then the church is produced. So actually the church is the product of it. And he says that we've got to get the horse and the cart the right way around. So we need to give ourselves to mission. You want to see the church grow? You want to see more churches being planted? Then you give yourself to the mission to make disciples. That's the way it works. 
But Jesus' vision was bigger than Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem when this commission was given. He was in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell on the church. But his vision was bigger than that. And his, the call is to make disciples, not just of one city, not just of one nation, not just of one people group. What does he say in Acts? He says, you will be my witnesses. Okay, so there's this sense of making him known in Jerusalem, but then in Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So it's this sense of, uh, of being witnesses in ever-expanding circles, breaking into new territory where he's not been made known before, Not just to be contained in one place, but Jesus' heart is this. Go and fill the earth. Go to all the nations. Again, that's what he says in, in the commission, isn't it? In Matthew 28 that we read. Go and make disciples of... Anyone? Go and make disciples of... All nations. Okay, so we can see that there's this really... Uh, it's a clear, a clear mission from Jesus that this mission is a global mission mission, not just a local one. In Revelation chapter 7, so we're going to jump right to the end of the Bible, in this vision that John has of the end days, and in John, uh, sorry, in Revelation chapter 7, it says this, this is what John saw in his vision, okay, in verse 9, it says that after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from Every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is God's vision for a people that he will gather to himself. And it's made up of all nations and all tribes and all languages, which shows us this, is that God's heart is for the nations. So if this is the people that, that God is gathering to himself, then we have to see that the commission is to go to all nations. And in all places. God's desire is to have a people for himself from all the nations. Can we have the, the vision back up, please? I'm going to call you Mr. Vision now. So we desire to see local churches effectively and fruitfully engaged in local kingdom mission. But we desire to see local churches caught up on a global apostolic kingdom mission as well. It's important what we do here in Faversham. But we need to be caught up in the global aspects of mission as well. One of the things that I'm most grateful for. One of the things that I value most about being part of relational mission is their heart and the intention, intentionality, should have chosen a better word, an easier word maybe, an intentionality for the nations. The reason I'm grateful for this is because it enables us to be aware of mission on the local and the global scale, but it's much more than just being aware, actually it provides us with opportunities to participate and be involved in that mission as well. What does that look like, part of relational mission? Part of that will be people physically going to other nations to be involved in seeing churches planted and disciples, sorry, disciples made, churches planted. Some people will have a part in that. And actually for some of us in our church family, we have people who have been involved in doing that before. 
And I pray that for some of us in this room today, that actually God will call, at least we would be open to God calling us to the nations as well. But we can also play a, play a part in being able to resource global mission. It's what relational mission do as a church. We, we, uh, we give financially to relational mission and individuals within the church would do that as well. Enable to resource the global mission because it, that is something that's needed as well. We get to be involved in prayer, gathering in prayer. We can be involved in supporting and encouraging those who have gone to other nations. You can be part of pioneer teams that go out and spend some time with churches in other places. Being able to bless them and serve them in that way as well. But even thinking beyond relational mission, we are able to engage with other, um, other, other uh, churches, other people who are uh, really pressing on in that global mission. But thinking about enough that we've got coming up in a, in a couple of weeks' time, actually, that's, reached, that's extending beyond relational mission into other spheres and, and families of churches. And this latest enough is going to be, there's going to be hubs in 12 nations across five continents. Let's not lose how wonderful that is. That is a really significant and wonderful thing. One of the places is going to be in Nagoya, in Japan. Some of you may know that's actually the church that Luke and Anna were very much moved to, 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 to be a part of, moved to, to Japan to be a part of, and seeing that church established. And so for me, even seeing that, seeing, oh, the church in Nagoya are going to be a part of it, for me, I'm caught up and invested in global mission. Because I know of people that have been involved in it. Can you see this sense of being caught up in something that's bigger than, solely bigger than the local? Actually, we've got a part to play in the global as well. Morris Nightingale, who's very much involved in heading up, he's on the team that, that heads up racial mission. He says this that I wanted to share with you. Because sometimes we can feel like maybe this call for, for the mission to the nations is maybe a bit beyond us because we're one of the smaller churches. And he, he, he comes from, historically comes from a smaller church. And he says this, he says that, a, that this commission that Jesus gives is a commission to every church, not just to glamorous churches, churches with loads of resources, but for all of us. The thing we have to ask ourselves is how are we going to express that ourselves? And that's an ongoing question and communication that we need to have. Ultimately, we have been commissioned to make Christ known where he is not yet known. And as I was reflecting on that, I got this, have you ever heard of the phrase of, of something being, we talk about something, it, it's on your doorstep, you know, it's, it's nearby, it's not too far, it's right on your doorstep, you don't have to go far. And as I was thinking about this, well, what does it mean to make Christ known where he is not yet known? This phrase about on your doorstep came to mind. And one of the things is this, is that the nations are on our doorstep. You don't have to go to another nation to be able to be a witness to a person from another nation. And actually, we live in a time where, where actually it, many countries, many countries are very diverse, very open, where there's lots of people from all different nationalities and cultures and backgrounds. And I would say, yeah, Fabersham, compared to some places, is not as diverse as others. But there are many, many nations represented, not just in Fabsham, in surrounding towns and villages as well. And the question for us is, okay, so how do we connect with the nations that are here? 
And I think there's a challenge here in that are we willing to be flexible and even change the way that we do things so that we can connect with people from other nations and from other cultures? Because when, when uh, a number of us went to um, a conference a number of months ago that was thinking about how we... Um, trying to think what it was called. It was the Empower Conference in terms of how to empower us to be, to be good news in our communities and how to engage in our communities. And a big challenge that came out of that was how much of what we do isn't so much formed by what the Bible says, but actually in terms of a, a white middle-class culture. And are we inviting people into to, uh, kingdom culture or are we expecting them to conform to our middle-class culture? And actually, the thing that came through was, are we willing to be changed and be flexible in order to reach people that otherwise we might not be able to reach? Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, that, he, he says, um, he says to, to the Jews, I became a Jew. So those who were under the law, I became under, I was under, as one who was under the law. For those who weren't under the law, as one who wasn't under the law. To the weak, I became weak. He says this, he says, I became all things to all men in order that some would be saved. He's saying, actually, I'm going to meet people where they are. My identity is so secure in Christ. I'm not going to compromise on, on who Christ has called me to be. But actually, I'm going to be able to engage with people where they're at because it's important that they get that I can share Christ with them in order that they would get saved. And I just feel for us as a challenge, when we're thinking about the nations, it's not just about, well, I don't feel called to a nation. Actually, the nations are here on our doorstep. But are we willing for God to change and shape us so that we can engage with people in a way that we might not before? The second thing that came to my mind in terms of on the doorstep is this. Is that... the you know they give these generations different names like Generation X, Generation Y. The next one that's coming up is Generation Alpha. And that is for those who were born in, uh, after 2010. So they would be, the oldest of those would be nine at this point. And what they're saying about Generation Alpha, uh, Generation Alpha is that this is a generation that is actually going to be pre-Christian. What that means is that for most of Generation Alpha, they will have no living relatives who have ever attended church or would even know who Jesus is. Which is a very sobering thing, but actually we need to see this as a, a great opportunity to make Jesus known to a generation that aren't necessarily carrying any, any baggage that generations before might have carried in with the church. We kind of, in a way, we have a blank slate in order to reach them. So it's an exciting thing, but it is a sobering thing in that we need to realise, so how do we make Christ where Christ is not yet known? For starters, you've got a whole generation in this town who are pre-Christian that need to know. And then that also means surely that their, their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation need to hear about him as well. Can you hear what I'm saying? We don't need to be thinking, actually, I don't feel called to, to the nations. People here need to know. The commission is given, but also the Holy Spirit is given to the church. We can't overlook this. Jesus gives the commission, but what does he say? The Holy Spirit will come and he will give you power to be my witnesses. Don't separate mission and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That was never Jesus' intention. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit was given to the church, part of which would be to enable us in our mission. 
Sorry, I'm just trying to work out what to... What to move on to, because I don't think I'm going to get through all of it. Okay, I will say this quickly. You might hear us speaking about everyone a witness a lot. There's a reason why we speak about everyone a witness a lot, is because that's the kind of culture we're trying to cultivate. Where each one of us is to be encouraged and equipped in being able to be effective witness and confident witnesses for Jesus. Uh, in, in the vision it says that we are looking for churches to be effectively and fruitfully engaged in local kingdom mission. Part of that is us keeping going over. What does it mean for us to be witnesses? This call that each one of us is a witness. How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we go about that? But the thing, I'm not going to touch too much on this apart from to say this. Is that we want to be a witness in every place to every person and every culture. That can feel, it can feel perhaps overwhelming. It can almost feel like, if, depending on how it's communicated, it can sometimes feel maybe like a, a burden in terms of, I've had this thing put on me that I have to go and make Jesus known in every situation, at every time. And it's actually what everyone at Witness is about, primarily, is about learning to partner with the Holy Spirit. Okay? I just want to say that. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit, and in our call to be witnesses, we need to learn how to partner with him. So he leads us to the right people, and in the right places. And he shows us, is this, a, is this an opportunity where uh, the gospel can be shared, or your story can be shared? Maybe this is a situation where you can demonstrate Jesus and the love of Jesus through the way that you serve someone, or through something you do. Maybe this is an opportunity where you can pray for someone to be healed. Well, there's an opportunity here for, for a demonstration of God's power. Can you see what I'm saying? It's just, it's just learning to, to walk with the Holy Spirit where he leads us and guides us, where it's not a, a, a burdensome obligation, but actually this is a call to be released into being witnesses for Jesus. Uh, but actually we partner with the Holy Spirit where we discern the appropriate thing at that time and in that place. Okay, so it's an ongoing thing. And we'll learn and we won't always get it right and do you know what that's okay when we're witnesses for Jesus you're not responsible for the outcome but you are responsible for your obedience in that but this is a wonderful thing that we've been called to and released into and I could say more and hopefully by being brief it's not been unhelpful but I just want to encourage you if you think what is everyone a witness about actually it's very much about partnering with the Holy Spirit Okay, so keep that, I want you to keep that in mind. Um, I do, I do want to touch on this whole thing a bit more about what it is, what holistic mission uh, looks like. So in what I'm uh it says that we desire to see local churches involved in holistic mission, engaging with all sectors of society, particularly the poor and the marginalised. A lot of what I'm going to share now has come out of the Relational Mission book, uh, Relational Mission, A Way of Life, that Mike Betts uh, has written. So it's very much shaped by that. Also, if you haven't got a copy of this yet, this one is free and available. So come and see me afterwards. Um, but I want us to think then about what, about what holistic mission is. If we're, if we're saying actually it's about engaging with all areas of society and all places within society. So a few weeks ago, uh, where if you were here, do you remember I did the three circles on the board? And we went through the gospel through the three circles. You might have heard the three circles being mentioned at various times. 
That's what it is, the way of sharing the gospel. And the three circles starts with this. It starts with, if you were to uh, turn on the TV, or open your social media feed, or look at the world around you, you would see brokenness. And brokenness, we see, uh, we see sickness and suffering, corruption, exploitation of people, exploitation of nature, poverty. We see brokenness, don't we? But we have to recognise that we see brokenness in all areas of life, across all classes, across all cultures, and across all nations. We can't think that brokenness is reserved for only a small group of people. It affects everyone at every level of society, however you might define it. And the church needs to be right in there amongst the brokenness. We are not to be kept out of that. We're not to to draw ourselves off to one side. We are meant to be right there in the brokenness. And Mike, last week, so helpfully said, actually there is a danger as a church of becoming inward looking. And And actually a lot of the things that might cause us to be inward looking aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves. And there's a lot that goes on in church life, isn't there? But we need to make sure that we are not, uh, we are not drawn to being inward looking to the extent where our vision becomes too small and we forget to look out as well. John 17. Um, again, this is Jesus. So this is actually before he's commissioned the disciples, before he's said about the Holy Spirit coming. We, we, we catch... Uh, the heart and vision of Jesus as he prays to the Father, which is what he's doing here. Uh, And he says, from verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus, his prayer to the Father is this, he's saying that those he's gathered to himself, they are not of the world in the sense that in Jesus we die to our old self and we are born again. And in being born again it means that we have a new nature, we have new heart desires and ultimately we have a new king. So we don't live the way of the world anymore, actually we live for someone other than who we lived for before. You're following me with this, okay? So in that sense, we are not of the world because we serve a different king, because we've been born into something new. But this is Jesus' heart. He says, they are not of the world, but you're not to be removed from the world. You're not to live in some sort of a Christian ghetto where you're, you're, you're sheltered off from everything else that is going on. And you're not sheltered, up, sheltered from the brokenness in the world that you see. Actually, we're not to be removed from the world, but far from removing uh, his, belief, his followers from, from the world, what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to send you into the world. So this sense of the danger that Mike pointed out, there's a danger of becoming inward looking. Can we see that was never Jesus' intention? His intention, his commission doesn't give room for that. He says, actually, I have sent you into the world. Now, there are some newspapers where I'm thinking, uh, sort of, in my mind, I'm thinking of the weekend newspapers. 
uh, where you get all the different supplements that go with it. Okay, so not your weekly one, but the one where you seem to get loads of other things that go along with it, the supplements in there. And there'll be things like sport, trust me to start with sport, sport, politics, culture, education, all of those different aspects that go with it, right? Um, but they're separate parts that make up the whole thing, okay, that is being communicated to you. In a similar way, we need to have the influence of God's people in politics and in business and in social enterprise and in health and well-being and in community infrastructure and in education and in science and in media and in the arts. That's what it means to be sent into the world in a holistic way, not just in small sections or parts of it, but in, in, in society as a whole. This is a wonderful call. Have you ever thought about that? That actually Jesus' call to us is to be a people that some would have influence as God's people in all of those places across society. That's a wonderful thing. And that's his vision. Let's not have a vision that's too small, church. Let's not have a vision of the mission that is too small. The word holistic isn't there just because it's a clever, fancy word. Actually, we need to be seeing this mission being worked out in all areas of society. So we need to see those who have been gifted and called by God being released into those areas. If you do have that relational mission book, uh, and one of you can have that book today, um, I would really encourage you to look at this, the chapter that, um, which is entitled Church for a Broken World. And in there, Mike Betts just share some thoughts about what could this look like in terms of culture? What could this look like in terms of business? I think it's really helpful for us to be able to, to think that through. Now, the vision makes mention of engaging with the poor and engaging with the marginalised. It specifically draws out those, those groups of people. And when we're talking about the marginalised, we're thinking about those who have been relegated to the fringes of society. And actually, we're saying that in particular, we need to be engaging with the poor and those who are on the, on the fringes of society. If we look at Jesus, what type of people did Jesus spend time with and give his time to? He spent time with all sorts of people, didn't he? But to my mind, you, there's just something about when Jesus is with those who are on, on the edges of things, who have been shunned by wider society, those who are in need. There's just something that just seems like Jesus is drawn to those people and he does them good, doesn't he? But if we look wider than the example of Jesus that we see in his ministry, if we read through the scriptures, we see that the scriptures reveal time and time again that God cares for the poor. And if God cares for the poor, therefore, so should we. James 2. I am, I've not got long left, but I just feel this is too important not to, not to draw out. Okay, So John 2, 15 to 16. Uh, it says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It almost, when you read it through, it almost seems a bit silly, doesn't it, that you would do that. But it's very easy for us to do that. See, genuine faith produces works. Genuine faith leads us to action. Genuine faith leads us to go beyond telling people that we are good news to actually being good news. It goes beyond saying to people, we love you, but actually demonstrating love 
for people as well. So who are the poor? Who are the poor? There's probably many definitions that you could give to this. But Mike Betts, I've found it most helpful. He says that the poor are those who have been disempowered to an extent that they no longer have choices. It's a really helpful way to think about it. Okay, so the poor are those who have been disempowered to an extent that they no longer have choices. They can't make choices for themselves anymore. Now, our minds, when we speak about the poor, might go to those... I know mine, my default would be to go to those who are in financial or economic poverty. But actually, poverty can be social. Poverty can be physical. It's wherever people have been disempowered to the extent that they no longer have choices, choices that God would want them to have. And it is our role as the church, our God-given call, to be those that would serve those and seek to empower them in order uh, where, where they have been disempowered to be able to seek to empower them and to serve them and to be good news to them. One of the things I most admire about my dad and most value about my dad is he has such a, a, a clear um, sense of injustice and justice to the extent where he's just like, that is not right. Do, do you know what I mean? He just gets that there's just, and there's something within him that you cannot, it almost, I think he gets angry, but in a godly way, he gets angry about things where injustice is happening. Realising where people are being mistreated, where people are being, uh, are being victimised, where people are, are, are being, um, yeah, j- just not loved and not cared for and disregarded. There's just such a sense of that in him, and I see it in my brother as well. And I think it's a wonderful thing, and I want to grow more in that. And I think that's something that actually, uh, that, that, we, that we need to recognise, this sense of, 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 our God is a just God, and he hates injustice. Therefore, we need to hate injustice. And so often, poverty comes about because people are not being treated in a just way. And we need to be those that would, 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 count, would counter injustice with grace in the way that we serve people and love people. We might have ideas about what we think people need. But again, going back to Mike Betts, he makes a suggestion that I think is incredibly helpful when we think about how do we engage with the poor and the marginalised? How do we engage with those who are trapped in a poverty situation? And he says this, ask the question, how can I serve you? It's quite a simple question. But we can sometimes have ideas of, I think I know how to sort this out and I know what to do. Actually, just ask the question, how can I serve you? And listen to what they say. And think, okay, so what does that look like? I'm going to finish with this. This call to engage with the poor and the marginalised is something that we are all called to. Just as we are all called to be a witnesses. This isn't something for some of us and not others. We are all called to this. We might feel feel ill-equipped. We might feel overwhelmed. We might feel like, I don't know that I could be much use. Or I'm not sure how to engage. But some, other, some questions for you to consider then. What gifts has God given you? What are you good at? And then how do I use that to serve and show love to this person or these people in that situation? Be open to God using you the way that he has made you and gifted you in order to be able to, to do that. Don't withdraw yourself or exclude yourself from that. We are all called to be good news. 
to all areas of society, but in particular we're called to engage with the poor and the marginalised. You have a part to play in that. But just ask, how have you made me God? How can I use this to serve and love this person or these people? So we have to be engaging with all sectors of society. How that looks will vary depending on our context, what mission looks like. Uh, will vary and Mike's going to be speaking on that next week in terms of context contextualization and that sort of thing but however it looks mission is something that we must be engaged in locally and globally okay and that's what draws us to this uh, to this part of our vision can I pray